Hi, good evening. So just to recap a little, so I am an architect and um, I've worked in the Netherlands for over six years. I've been back in London for over five now. Um, I got the bursary from CPRE to study, but not as an architect. I actually studied geography and urbanisation and development at the London School of Economics. So this is a summary of my master's dissertation from that course. I think, let me run back to the beginning. The starting point for my study and my initial involvement with CPRE was based on the focus of compact housing in inner cities for families. And with that starting point, I looked at an area that I've been working in for, for as long as I've been working, actually, South London, starting to look at the Haygate Estate and the scale of change that was happening there and is being proposed around the Elephant and Castle as we speak. I imagined when I started my course that my research would be quite empirical, that I would be looking at housing typologies, um, densities, quite mathematical or technocratic approach to housing. That was how I saw studying at the LSE uh, and being an architect and being interested in urbanism would turn out. From the title of my dissertation, you can see that isn't really the way that it went. What I found in the start of my studies was that the visualisation of the built environment has become dominant in the way that we think about cities. That this idea of a technocratic planning process that lots of us are involved with on a daily basis is taking a back seat and aesthetics are pushing um, planning discourse in a different direction. And I was interested to see how this hyper-visualisation and the growth of cities in, across the globe was married with media images and the dominance of images within our everyday lives. So this goes back to a Harvey quote, thinking about the way that we imagine, the way that we talk, the way that we envisage our cities of the future really impacts on what those cities might become. So it's not just the images that we produce that we hope they might materialise in the future. In fact, those images themselves are active, that they become institutionalised, they become um, common, common language for how our cities will turn out. The issue with starting with this focus on images, of course, is personal interpretation. The, true can be said, the same can be said for figures and for language as well, but it is a very personal interpretation. I am an architect, but I saw this process as an attempt to broaden my sociological imagination somehow, to take my architectural baggage, but to try to um, apply it in a broader sense to how cities are experienced for all of us. So my approach is based around the planning application documents for the Elephant and Castle um, development around the Haygate Estate, which includes the total demolition of all of the Haygate Estate, which is over 1,000 units, which was over, had over 3,000 people living there. Um, everybody has been displaced from the estate already for over a year. Basically, everybody has been out of the estate. Um, there's been a small amount of demolition, but if any of you have been down to the Elephant Castle, you'll see that there's basically a boarded up estate. There isn't a financial pressure to redevelop at the moment, and there are issues with asbestos, which means that the demolition process is slow. So what the image that I was confronted with was an empty estate with no inhabitants and a planning application for a completely new section of the city. 
So how I approached this was that I took the planning documents and I analysed the images, or I approached the images, looking at them in quite a technical way, thinking what genre do, do, they, um, do they sit within, who is making them, who are they made for, very straightforward questions to try and consider the social context of these images. And specifically, given this hypermedia context that I was thinking of, the technology of the production and circulation, and how images overlapped and combined to recirculate or to challenge the dominant characterizations of post-war social housing. So this is the image that you saw when you came in. This is the future of the elephant and castle as portrayed in the design nexus statement of the planning documents. So the aesthetics are quite familiar of a global investment of high building development, dense, yes, um, a slightly simplified language of architecture. It's only an outline planning application, so it's not going into detail of all of the buildings themselves, but it gives an impression of quite an expensive architecture, a lot of glass, sunshine, obviously, Green space, quite well used, busy, well maintained, expensive features like we see the fountain, benches, park, park. Idea of spaces to sit and eat, so cafes, on most of the corners you'll see there's cafes. A lot of us have produced images like this, of, well I certainly have, and I think the idea was to consider what this meant. What were we implying the Elephant Castle could become in contrast to what it is now, or what it was prior to the community there being displaced. So the issue was that these images are not just um, ideas about the future, but they're actually methods of persuasion. The idea is that they will focus the discourse in a certain way, and ideas of aesthetics and social groupings who might use it, that they actually replace the ideal of a universal support for everybody, which was perhaps the guiding force for post-war housing, with an idea of an aestheticised, clean, tidy, ordered urban space. And what does that mean? Well, my hypothesis is that while these new build buildings seem to be new, they are in fact just a reinscription of a, a middle-class city which already exists over the top of um, a displaced community. So this is an interesting example. This is one of the few images in the design access statement that showed the existing street, which you'll see on the right, that's, on, that's Walworth Road, and all the shops running along there. Surprisingly, there's only one bus on the Walworth Road. I don't know if any of you know the Walworth Road, but there's normally considerably more than one bus. And on the left-hand side, you see the proposed development with the 30-storey tower chopped off the top of the image. Dominance of trees in the images. I'll come back to that later. But I think what's interesting here is the, the contrast of what a Walworth Road shop is, what sort of person runs Walworth Road shop, who works there, who uses the shops, what sort of things you can buy there, compared with the quite generic high street that you can see on the other side of the street with wide pavements, um, very busy, lively. This period of the day, this dusk image with the lights on in the shops is a favourite of architectural renderers. What does this tell us about the, the changes that will occur in this place? Um, I would argue that even though the red line of the planning boundary runs down the middle of the road, 
the right-hand side of the street will not remain like that. It will, this image is a construct which will not occur. So this idea of these aestheticised and ordered spaces and these closed, um, very clearly defined uses of the shops on the left-hand side of that previous image are portraying a homogeneity which is not the character of the Elephant Castle as it stands or of the Walworth Road. It's something quite different. And it's a, it's un, it's also signifies a uniformity which is what the Hegate is predominantly criticised for, a uniformity of aesthetic and a uniformity of use and inhabitant. So the question is, is this a repetition of a previous mistake where we're inscribing a single user group on a large area of the city? Also, what these images sort of blur over is the privatisation of the space. This space will be... Well, once the building's demolished, they'll be handed over to the management group. So, as has happened in other cities such as Liverpool, large areas of streets and public, seemingly public space, will be privatised. So what does that mean as well for the, the social po possibilities of the future of this part of London? So here you see one of those streets. This is the, as it stands, on the top of Wansley Street. And this is the proposed supposedly public space, which would be in private hands. I think what was interesting about this image was the staged nature of the architectural rendering was maybe quite appropriate for what the future space might be. It's not a bench that you might usually see on the left-hand side of the image. It's a, it's a piece of artwork. There's a question how um, inclusive or what that effect that has on the character of the space. In the middle of the image, it's not very clear to see, but there's an outdoor piano with a huge group of people around. This is also this, some kind of idea of um, events in public spaces which encourage a certain um, rearticulation of an idea of this place as somewhere where you would go to experience these kind of events, so which can be described as these pseudo events that you go to to talk about to experience that it 's not a community or spontaneous event it 's often sponsored by a group or by um, through advertising. So what, what sort of spaces do, what sort of activities do these encourage? Again, you see the boulangerie cafe on the left-hand side of the image as well. So there's a very clear class um, imprint on this public space. And how is this achieved, this complete transformation of place? This isn't the Haygate estate. So I think there are backgrounds to how this has been able to take place. How is it that 3,000 people have been able to be displaced from the centre of London? One, there's a market logic that this is very close to the city of Westminster, it's central, so there's an idea that because it's central, that it isn't appropriate for, maybe for social housing, maybe for degradation. What is an appropriate function at the centre of the city? I think that's been a very clear driver in the process of vilifying this certain estate and moving people on. So these pathological depictions help to overcome this inertia that is in the built environment. It's difficult to move 3,000 people. It takes quite something, especially since the joint venture between the local authority and the developer hadn't been signed at the point that 3,000 people were displaced. So that's really interesting. Just the, the ideas, the discourse was strong enough to displace that many people. 
What's interesting in the design Max's statement as well is that you get images of the Haygate, but very specific ones. So this is one taken from the Strata Tower. I think you see there the dominance of trees is quite realistic. There are a lot of trees, so in the future images maybe that's reasonable. But this is a boarded up estate, take, and images taken from the future of the elephant from the high-rise tower of the strata that's the first new build on the elephant um, as part of the elephant towers that are now coming forward in the planning process. In the consultation documents, they also didn't include the residence or the Haygate as an inhabited place. There were images of the original architect sketches, which look not unlike the finished Haygate, and also images and reference to a heyday at the Haygate, uh, a pre-war heyday, or a post, I think it was the post-war heyday they described, which is interesting since the living standards were really terrible. That was, there was a social situation which drove to the Haygate being built, which I don't think is, is um, represented correctly in the consultation documents. So the idea in the consultation is that the Haygate was never a community and people never inhabited that space. It's sort of skipped within the logic of the redevelopment. So quickly, because the Haygate is empty, there's a lot of stuff going on there. It's not very well defined. The council don't really know what to do with it. There's masses of allotments. I mean, it's guerrilla gardening gone completely crazy. There's so much space there, and people are using it. Beekeeping, parkour. I think what's interesting in these images is that these interim uses suggest an alternative use for the spaces around social housing that could have happened while the housing was inhabited, with a bit of imagination and perhaps a bit of flexibility by the local authorities, that these activities could have happened during that time. And, of course, it's a, a space for art. So the one image on the left is a flat that was um, completely filled with a solution of I'm not sure what, something with, which crystallised they filled the flat completely and then they drained it. Um, so this is, these are some of the images that artists have produced of that. Also empty images and the one on the right is from a film. So I think there's lots of art going on in that space as well. Some of that art serves to broaden the discourse around the space. Some of it um, helps to reinforce dominant discourse. But I think the amount of images created is also an interesting aspect when you think about the modernist aesthetic as something which is totalitarian. Here you see hugely diverse reinterpretations of it and the very typical interpretation of it, which I think I've argued is, has helped to speed up the demolition and the decamping of people out of the Haygate. At the time the Haygate was emptied, um, Michael Caine released a film um, which was about him, one of his friends had been killed in a subway on the estate and he's um, seeking vengeance against the young gangs on the estate. So you get the general idea. This image was used repeatedly in um, newspaper articles about the redevelopment of the Haygate. And this was the title of one of those articles, Michael Caine's Rotten Estate to be Transformed. So. Michael Caine comes from the elephant. I'm not sure that he's lived there for the last 60 years. But this idea that the, the filming, and there were, I think, over 70 films filmed at the Haygate after people were starting to be moved out. It was an empty space, which was very easy to, um, to be used to film, and predominantly police, crime, um, dramas. So how do these images and these um, depictions of modernist housing and the Haygate in particular influence the redevelopment?
I think other media um, recirculation of images which cause confusion are some of the architectural images I found de described as photos. So what does that mean when people see something in the newspaper, they see it as a photo, it's, imagine, it's immediately real. So this is one of the main arguments that these images have more power or more influence than might seem immediately uh, clear to the people who create them or circulate them. And BD and the architectural press is equally uh, guilty of this. How the Elephant Castle will look in 2025, these kind of assertions of, um, of this is the way things are going to be and there is not an alternative. And then I'll try to speed up a little bit because I'm taking time, but I think there's interesting ways in which in the design access statement that uh, exemplar projects are used. So Accordia, for example, occurs dozens of times within the document. What does that mean? What are the architects putting together a document trying to say about this place and that it should be more like a, a suburb of Cambridge? Is that what we imagine for the elephant? Seems a little bit strange. And one other example they use a couple of times is the One Hyde Park development, which if anybody knows the social context of that and the issues around tax dodging, um, it's an interesting aesthetic example, but the social connotations of that are complicated and one wonders if the design next statement or the authors understood the social aspects of development. So I think one of the things that's very clear in the images of the Hague Eighth is the dominance of trees. I think in my argument, this is part of a process where a space which had a community has been colonized, that through the prioritizing of nature, people have managed to um, talk about sustainability and the importance of that clearly in our cities. But in the denial of the inhabitants and the community and the prioritizing of trees and nature, we start to understand the kind of colonizing language that the existing culture is shown as polluting and uncivilized, and it's being replaced by an ordered, safe regime of beauty. So these trees are transformed from a backdrop to urban living to a dominant aesthetic. And I think that has really significant um, impact on the governing of public space in our cities. So my argument is that these images of regeneration already begin to enact new personalities or new place identities, that they portray development as normal and desirable and that gets recirculated within wider discourse and that they're not actually images about what that place will become but they are simply ways of preparing people for large-scale spatial and social change. So in this case the displacement of 3,000 people. And my argument is, is that we have available to us technologies, amazing technologies, which could be used in much more inclusive and innovative ways to include people in the representation and exploring of what the future of our cities might be. And that we need to be conscious of the images and the methods and the discourse that we use when describing our cities in order to create places that we all want to live. Thank you.